0: Lord, we pray that uh, you would take the words we just sang seriously, that would you keep us near the cross, would it be our glory ever, and would you give us rest through it. Lord, we pray that even today as we look in your word, you'd bring the scenes of the cross before us, help us to focus on you and what you have to say to us. May your spirit be at work in our hearts we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I have a seat. When life gets hard, where do our eyes most often tend to drift? When we are in pain or distress, sorrow or suffering, what do we usually get fixated on in those times? It has to be ourselves, right? And I don't mean this to criticize anyone who's suffering, but this is, we get focused on ourselves. We're nearsighted about our own trials so naturally. Of course, there are exceptions, but I'm talking about our normal tendencies here. We're so consumed by pain or grief or challenges, it's hard to think about anything else. Our conversations end up, Centering on our hardships. Our relationships inadvertently get shaped by them. Our prayers become monopolized by them. And we start seeing everything in our lives through the lens of our pain. Jesus, though, shows us a different way. In where his eyes went as he suffered and even died. He was not self-centered or self-consumed, not in the least. Like these were times that, there were times that he was most attentive to his own suffering, but it wasn't all the time at all. And during times that certainly would have consumed us in our suffering, he looked outward. Expressing and exemplifying An unfathomably selfless love and compassion. Jesus turned his eyes toward others, and in so doing, I believe, should turn our eyes toward others as well. Robert Nash says, We live in a world that is unkind and often downright evil. It seems that everyone has hurt and pain. Jesus' last words meet us in these moments. God speaks to those in agony at the cross. Good Friday takes us on a journey of despair and desolation and transports us to a place of comfort and consolation. Meditating on his last words helps us put difficulties in perspective, sin in its place, and opens our eyes to the expanse of God's affection for us. So that's what we want to do today. As we continue in in our Cross Words series together, we want the words that Jesus spoke from the cross to offer us hope and help, to put our suffering in perspective and our sin in its place as we behold really the awesome compassion and love that God has for people like us. I invite you at this time to turn with me to John chapter 19. John 19 today. We've talked a bit about how horrible crucifixion was the people who were getting crucified. One ancient historian called it the most obscene type of death. It involved mind-numbing pain and torture, as well as social and spiritual humiliation. Humiliation. Keep this in mind because because Jesus' words were spoken smack dab in the middle of agony. Right when words would have been most difficult to speak. Today, though, I want us to also consider how horrific the cross would have been to onlookers. Not necessarily the, the calloused Roman soldiers who had done this work regularly nor to the Jewish leaders or the hostile observers who were probably feeling pretty triumphant right then. But how traumatizing this would have been to those who, were actually, who actually cared about Jesus, the bystanders who were close to him. Cicero declared that the very word cross should be far removed from not only the bodily experience of citizens, but even their thoughts eyes, and ears. But for those who loved Jesus and followed him, that was impossible. They couldn't help but follow him there. The nauseating smells filled their noses. The disturbing sounds filled their ears. And the sickening sights filled their eyes. And we're going to consider two of these distraught onlookers in particular today, and Jesus' words to them. Let's pick up John's account of the crucifixion from the end of verse 16. Your Bible might even have a section break here, the new title, but it says, So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the Place of a Skull, So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, The heartless soldiers, some who were heartbroken by this, were also nearby. Three Marys, Jesus' mother, his aunt, and one of his close friends. And at least one of his disciples, John, was there too, as we'll see. And in the words from the cross we've already looked at in the last couple weeks, we've seen Jesus' heart for sinners as he offered forgiveness to his killers And grace to a criminal who was being killed beside him. But now we see he also didn't forget about those who were already close to him. Look at what he said in these terrible and yet somehow tender moments. In Verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman. Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. Now these are not the most famous crosswords. Like, Father forgive, or it is finished. They may not seem to be the most theologically significant sayings. And yet, these words are also recorded in God's word for a reason. Why? Woman. Woman. Behold your son. Behold your mother. Well, just like these words were directed to two individuals that Jesus cared deeply about, I think Jesus' words communicate two key truths about him and who he was. First of all, we see that from the cross, Jesus exemplified compassionate family love. Now, remember, this is even in extreme suffering. From the cross, Jesus exemplified compassionate family love. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. It may seem simple, and yet it's far more meaningful than it may appear. See, the Bible actually has a lot to say about how we treat our family members. And also, no matter how much we may say we love our families, aren't they, practically speaking, some of the hardest people to love? Right? Think about your spouse, or your parents, your grandparents, your kids grandkids, siblings, cousins, aunts, uncles, like, how often do you not get along with them? Like, every day that you see them? (laughs) How many times did you fight with them, disagree with them, distance yourself from them, insult them, offend them, hurt them, or... Get insulted, offended, or hurt by them. In the last oh, four years, just pulling a number out of thin air. There, over the the last few years, as a pastor, I have seen more family relationship strain than I've ever seen. And you could trace that to a number of things. Some of it to either isolation, or forced closeness, or controversial issues and strong opinions, or generation gaps, or legit health concerns, and more. But you can't blame all of it on these things, right? Some of it's just on us. For some reason, many other things became more important to us than the relationships with the people that should be naturally closest to us. And some of the damage that was done seems irreparable, even to this day. Marriages breaking, parents and kids fighting, relatives growing distant, and beyond the family even, friends angering and ghosting each other, Churches falling apart. So, in the landscape of 2024, where many are still trying to recover or rebuild what's been broken, I think Jesus' words provide a beacon of hope, as well as instruction for us. He demonstrates what family relationships can look like even in the worst places, even in the midst of extreme pain. Now let's think of things here from Mary's perspective. Okay, picture the scene from her mother's heart. She was likely in her teen years when she miraculously got pregnant as a virgin. You know the story. She then carried this miracle child in her womb for nine and a half months before giving birth, and ask any mom. There is a special bond mothers feel for a child that they carried inside of them. I'm certain Mary felt this special bond with her baby, whom they named Jesus. But when Jesus was only eight days old, as she and Joseph, her husband, brought him to the temple to be dedicated. They received a confusing, ominous message from an old guy there, Simeon, who said this. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You think those words got lodged in Mary's mind? bet they did. And think how much she saw them fulfilled throughout Jesus' life. When Jesus was a mere two years old, she found out that King Herod wanted to kill her son, a little toddler. And they had to To flee to Egypt, live there for a while as refugees, just to survive. As he grew up, she must have been proud of him as he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. But that favor with man eventually became super polarizing. And she got to see this opposition to her son just grow and grow to murderous proportions. No one wants their child to be despised and rejected by others. Then, one dark night, she got word that Jesus had been arrested. Trumped up charges. Perhaps she arrived on the streets of Jerusalem in time to see some of his trial play out. How pained must she have been when he was brought out, bruised and bleeding. How horrified as the mob chanted, crucify him, and Pilate gave in to them. How grief stricken as she followed Jesus stumbling down the road with his cross? Did she go into shock as Jesus was nailed to the cross and raised up on it? Did she look away, unable to watch? Like, how many tears do you think she cried in those hours her son was suffering and she as his mother could do nothing to stop the pain she was helpless to to bind his wounds to give him a drink anything and the sword will pierce through your own soul also indeed Mary, did you know that your baby boy would die in brutal fashion while you watch? She knew some things, but I doubt she ever imagined that appalling fate. You know the saying that no parent should have to bury their own child. Mary was about to. One commentator describes the scene this way. During all the public ministry of Christ, we see and hear so little of Mary. Her life was lived in the background among the shadows. But now, when the supreme hour strikes of her son's agony, when the world has cast out the child of her womb, she stands there by the cross. Who can fitly portray such a picture? bereft of faith and hope, baffled and paralyzed by the strange scene, yet bound with the golden chain of love to the dying one, there she stands. I can't picture her standing stoically. I suspect she was crushed, barely able to stand at all. So with that picture in mind, Now hear Jesus' words again as he looked down and saw his mom. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Now calling your mother woman might sound rude and disrespectful to us. (laughs) But this was more of a courteous, formal address in ancient Greek. It wasn't disrespectful at all. It would be similar today to saying something like, ma'am, or dear woman. So don't hear these words bearing any coldness from Jesus. This was tender compassion. This was Jesus reaching down with consolation to his dear mother, right at her lowest point. We're not his mother, and yet Jesus sees us at our lowest points as well. this, This picture should tell us something of his heart for people in similar circumstances. He might not tell you to behold your son, but he might tell you, don't be afraid. Or, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. Or, surely I have borne your griefs and carried your sorrows. I understand. Or, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Or, one day, I will personally wipe every tear from your eyes. Whenever you feel like you hit rock bottom, if you love Jesus, know that he sees you there. And he doesn't just say something like, toughen up. But he has true empathy and compassion for you. But What was he saying with behold your son? Because he wasn't going behold your son as in look at me, your son here hanging here in misery. He was telling Mary to look over at John. John wasn't her son though. So why did Jesus tell Mary to look at John and see John as a new son in essence? Well, Jesus was being a good son himself here, or a perfect son. And he was taking care of his mother. In all likelihood, her husband Joseph had died years prior to this. And the duty of taking care of a widowed mother fell to her sons first, especially to her oldest son. And Mary's oldest son was Jesus. But now Jesus was about to die himself, So who would take care of his mom? Now, he surely could have left this obligation to his human brothers. We know he had several of them. But I think there's a reason that he chose John, which we'll get to soon. But what he's doing here, as as Jesus died, he's getting his affairs in order, ensuring that Mary is well taken care of. He thought of his mother who loved him and whom he loved as well, and he entrusted her to the care of the disciple who best understood his love. And if he did this, even amid his agony on the cross, all while accomplishing salvation, then there really is no excuse for us not following in his footsteps. Taking care of aging parents was a key form of honor in Israel, as it is in many cultures. I think that our Western individualistic world has sadly abandoned this, this honorable practice. The Bible, though, called this a form of godliness. In First Timothy 5.4, where it says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. It goes on, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Today, when no one wants to be burdened by the elderly... So we sequester them off in care homes, not usually because we can't care for them, but because we won't. We need to take words like that to heart. To recognize that even if our culture might not impose a responsibility on us here, God might. And he does. Now sometimes our folks may need more care than we can give them, and that's okay. But I believe that we'd then still be responsible to procure the help they need from others. If you're young, you may also have younger parents right now. So this isn't on your radar. But it's wise to start preparing your heart now. Or preparing your finances or your home. Jesus calls you to obey your parents when you're young but to honor your parents all your days. So, are you willing to love your mom and pops the way Jesus loved his? And if you do have older parents or grandparents, consider today how you're treating them. Could your interactions with them be described as compassionate, respectful, or loving? Or does the example of Christ on the cross kind of put you to shame? For many of us, our parents loved us well. We owe them love in return. But even for those whose parents did not love them well, Jesus loved you perfectly. So will you honor your folks? If not for their sake, for his sake. What Jesus was doing, though, runs deeper than merely caring for his mother. See, if Jesus was to be the perfect man and the perfect substitutionary sacrifice so that his death would actually accomplish saving sinners, then he had to perfectly keep the law of Moses and thus fulfill the law, which meant he also had to perfectly keep the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Kids, you know what that is? Okay. Honor your father and your mother. Oh you think about it, Jesus would have been an utterly unique son to have, or child growing up, a young man. Like in a very real sense, he was Lord over even his earthly authorities. And yet, he never showed the smallest ounce of dishonor to them. And even here on the cross, we see this example of Jesus. Him, he's keeping the law till the bitter end. He was being sure to honor his mother, in this case, by supplying a replacement for him. But don't just mistake this for cold law-keeping, like a legal thing. As we saw, this was tenderness. This was compassion. Jesus was giving a kind and considerate gift to his mother. She needed this. See, in their male-dominated society, widows were often extremely vulnerable. If they didn't have a husband or a son to financially provide for them, they could easily end up destitute. Not to mention, so very alone. The end of verse 27 tells us what happened here, the long-term outcome. We see that John did indeed fill this role. Said Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So think about that. We don't know when or how Mary herself eventually died. We are told that she lived out her days well taken care of in a good home. And she would have died... With the son, Jesus appointed her, John, by her side. One more interesting thing to note here. The original commandment, that fifth commandment that Jesus was obeying, was honor your father and mother that your days may be long. And scripture makes a point to say that this is the first commandment with a promise. However, Jesus' days were cut short. He didn't enjoy a long life. So what gives? Well, that's kind of the point. Because he was suffering in the place of everyone who failed to honor their parents. So, of course his days were cut short. But then again, from another vantage point, were his days actually cut short? Or were they ultimately prolonged as the prophet Isaiah had predicted, that when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Like, the promise of long life was fulfilled for Jesus through his resurrection. Anyway, from the cross, this is the point we saw, Jesus exemplified, compassionate family love. Woman, behold your son. However, if this were only a private conversation between Jesus, Mary, and John, then an example of familial love might be all we could take away. But it's not. Jesus wasn't only setting an example on the cross, he was genuinely loving us too. And most importantly, through the cross, he was actually forming a new family. So, I don't believe that it's any coincidence that Jesus reconstitutes his own family in these moments. Like, what he did with Mary and John was a preview of what he would do with all of us. Or maybe more than a preview. It was actually a a first case of bringing his family together. I think this is why Jesus asked John, not his earthly brothers, to care for Mary. Because he wanted to show that spiritual ties between believers are stronger than blood. Robert Nash puts this so well, says, "...all who truly believe are united by faith to one another through the extravagant love of our Lord. We are part of God's family." Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are brothers and sisters to each other spiritually. We need each other. We need the comfort found in a spiritual community made possible through Christ's death and echoed in Jesus' gift to Mary and John. And this family was made possible through the cross. It's echoed, as he says, in Christ's words here. So with the cross, Jesus redefines merciful family bonds. With the cross, Jesus redefines merciful family bonds. Okay, so we consider the scene from Mary's perspective. Now let's consider John's. Okay, he says in verse 27, Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. Now John is thought to have been one of Jesus' youngest disciples. He and his brother James were fishermen, also nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. One day, Jesus interrupted them while they were hard at work and said, "Follow me." And the Bible says that immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And over their years with Jesus, they had high points. As part of his inner circle of disciples. Such as when Jesus invited them to go with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Jesus in all his glory. They also had low points. Such as when their mother asked Jesus if she could reserve some thrones for them next to him. But John was so Humbled and blown away by the grace that Jesus showed him. That in the Gospel of John, which he wrote here, he doesn't even use his own name. Instead, he gives himself a new nickname. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Which you may have noticed as we read verse 26 there. With this title, John wasn't claiming to be more loved than others. He was just so personally affected by Jesus' love for him, that he wanted to define himself by that love. But truth be told, to claim this name here, of all places, it's rather shocking. And Jesus, entrusting his own mother to John, would have been even more so. Why is that? Well, if you know the story, the last time John showed up on the scene, he was failing. We see him, he was lurking among the periphery of the crowd when Peter denied Christ, didn't stop him. But before that, he had failed to stay awake and pray with Jesus in the garden. And when Jesus was arrested... John had fled like a coward, abandoning Jesus there. This, right here, is the only recorded interaction between Jesus and John, between John's abandoning him and Jesus' death. This is it. Did you see? This was pure mercy on John That Jesus reached out to him from the cross too. Imagine John's emotional state. Watching Jesus, his his friend, his master, suffer and die. Not only would he be grieving deeply like Mary. In shock probably like Mary. There's confusion. Seems like the plans are failing. Despair and guilt. Guilt all mixed in as well. So imagine then the comfort when Jesus looked down at him and didn't condemn him for running away. Maybe didn't even look disappointed with him, but he forgave him. And John felt that love of Christ restored to him. He's still the disciple that Jesus loves. And then, Wonder of wonders. He was given an incredible high honor. Jesus basically wanted John to take over his personal place in his own family. Not only, he's not, no longer a son of thunder, he's going to be a son of Mary. This is why I said these were merciful family bonds. Today, if you have wandered away from Jesus at all. Walking away from his love for you. Or perhaps you feel like a a total failure in your sins. Know that because of the cross, Jesus made a way for you to return and be restored. Like Stand beneath the cross, hear Jesus speak, and sense his mercy available to you. He not only beckons you back, he waits to bestow unspeakable privileges on you. As John later marveled at Jesus' mercy to him, he also marveled at Jesus' new family bonds. He was amazed at what Jesus had done through the cross, taking people from all over the world, from different cultures, generations, religions, backgrounds, lifestyles, and ethnicities, and uniting them in his blood. Like John saw Jesus redefine the bonds of family so that whether we have a good family, an okay family, a terrible family, or even no family, we can now be part of God's greater family. Is it any wonder that John, perhaps more than any other writer in the New Testament, just wrote in awe of our adoption as children of God? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See what what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. If you belong to Christ, when was the last time you just marveled at the truth of God adopting you? Like, Are you amazed that God would take someone who was his avowed enemy, like you, and not just forgive you, and maybe let you be his servant or slave, but that he would welcome you into the household and family of God, call you son and daughter, He's invited us to call on God any time as our loving Heavenly Father. He has loved us with a love that none of our parents could even muster up, And he's given us a secure permanent place in his forever family. Also, have you marveled that you now have more mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters than you can count. The blood of Christ truly runs thicker than the blood of kin. To quote Sam Alberry here, he says, When God draws people to himself, he draws them to one another as well. Following Christ means an abundance of spiritual family. Nature may have given us only one mother and father. The gospel gives us far more. And Jesus accomplished this, this redefinition through what he did on the cross. Ephesians 2 says that he reconciled us all to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing any hostility that used to be between us. Therefore, we're no longer strangers and aliens to one another, but fellow members of God's household. This family is even more precious than our families of origin, no matter how good they were or are. And no matter how imperfect the family of God still is on this side of heaven. In Matthew 12, Jesus' mother and brothers came to visit him, Mary and his other brothers, expecting maybe a bit of privileged treatment from Jesus. But he instead used the opportunity to make a big point, saying, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And in this, he wasn't saying that Mary or his brothers were unimportant. He was only claiming that in the big picture, spiritual family is more significant. And what binds us together is the love of God and doing His will. And by the time the cross comes around, both John and Mary were part of this spiritual family and that was most important. So behold your son. Behold your mother. Maybe today you know that you aren't yet part of the family of God. Maybe even envy it a bit. Know that because of Christ dying on your behalf, on the cross, there is now nothing stopping you from coming home to the Lord, except yourself. God has flung the doors of his house open to you. He's left the light on for you. He's more than willing to adopt you and make you his son or daughter. If only you'll forsake the sins that have distanced you from him, kept you far away from him, and confess your belief in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you'll be welcomed into the family of God with open arms. We'd love to help you take this step, so... If you want to do that, please come talk to me or talk to the friend that you came with later on. All this leads me to one big final question for every one of us, though. Where do you need mercy, kindness, or grace today? Where do you need mercy, kindness, or grace today? First of all, Behold the Son of God dying for you on the cross. Behold His Son and realize that He has provided you with all you need for every single day. In the cross, you have His mercy, kindness, and grace. So look there first. But then secondly, take a look beside you or around you to the family of God. Don't get so fixated on your own circumstances or even your suffering that you miss where God has strategically placed you right here and now. As we behold the Lamb on the cross, He doesn't want us to lose sight of beholding others as well. So He says, behold your son, behold your mother. Has has God put a John in your life through whom he is showing mercy to you today? Has he put a Mary in your sphere who could desperately use some love today? Who's nearby you, beside you? Who might Jesus be directing you to today to notice? He is bound us together by his blood, so may we never neglect those ties. Do you see those around you as family? Do you love them as Christ loved you? And do you appreciate what God has given you in them, even when there are tears in your eyes or in theirs? May the words of Christ help us now see each other as Christ sees us. Father, we pray, pray for our own hearts. We're often so broken and grieving over hurts in our families. Lord, would you heal our hearts and then show us just the incredible love you have for each one of us today. Open our eyes to see. Please, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.